Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable, and this is a special edition episode. Uh, but before we get started, I would like to thank some of my contributors, uh, Candice Sanderson, executive producer, Amanda Steele, senior editor, Damien Keller, production manager. Uh, and if anybody out there is listening and wants to contribute, likes this show and wants to contribute, and it doesn't have to be money, it could just be time, uh, please go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and click on the contributor page, and all that information is there. And now, without further ado, we have Roger Lay on today for this special edition of Everything Imaginable. And he has written a book called The Muslim Prince and is very relevant to what has been happening with the royal family. Honestly, the royal family is something that I do not even understand. So he might even be able to help enlighten some of us that don't get it. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to doing this episode. Thanks, Roger, for coming on today. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me. So, like we were talking earlier, Maybe you could uh, enlighten me a little bit on why there is, who is the royal, where did this royal family thing start? And why do they even still exist if they don't have any political influence? Or do they have political influence? I don't understand any of it. Well, basically, uh, you guys had the Mayflower, didn't you? Where some of your... Uh, founding fathers came over to America mm -hmm. and uh, partly to escape religious oppression and also to um, form a sort of more, more democratic society. Yes. We've always had kings and queens here, always, you know, going back as to prehistory, really. We, we don't know, probably don't know the names of some of the earliest ones. And the big difference between this country and many others is that we haven't had a revolution. You had a revolution, mm -hmm. the French had a revolution, Germany was reformed after the Second World War, you know, and there's never been a place for a hereditary head of state. Otherwise, your president would be called Washington. <laughs> it would be the great, 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 great grandson or daughter of George Washington, you know. We have this strange situation here where we have a monarchy Oh, and, you know, they sort of work within the democracy. I mean, we all vote. The Queen doesn't own my house or my garden or anything like that. And um, she has more influence than anything. Um, our Prime Minister goes and visits her once a week for a chat for an hour. And um, she... I have... Although I sort of tend in my personal politics towards republicanism, by which I mean with a small r. I mean, mm -hmm. what I mean is having a republic, not not a right-wing political party, <laughs> like your Republican Party yeah. is. My earliest memory, when I was about two or three years old, is sitting watching a black-and-white television set with a screen about this big, 
and all the neighbors are in this room because this is the only television set on our street. And I am eating biscuits and drinking milk and watching the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Now I am retired and, uh, you know, reasonably old. Queen has been the one constant thing in my life, always there. And she's only once has she put a foot wrong, really, to my knowledge. Um, she's been fantastic. We have a, a thing called the Commonwealth, which is basically the countries that used to be in the British Empire. Right. And we, we have our own sort of United Nations, the British Commonwealth, or it's just called the Commonwealth now. And she's been fantastic at, at keeping that together. Uh, she's been wonderful. Um, and here she is, you know, into her 90s and still in the saddle. Uh, I, I have a deep respect for her as a leader, as a sort of head of state, as it were, as a, a figurehead, really. Mm -hmm. um, she opens parliament. She, has, she goes in there and declares parliament to be open. But, you know, parliament is a democratic institution by and large. And um, she doesn't, uh, you know, when she's asked to sign a bill, a law or something, she just signs it, you know, she doesn't uh, refuse. What's worse, you know, do stop me <laughs> when you get fed up with me. What's worth is, it, worse is that you have two houses in America, don't you? You have the House of Representatives Right, yeah, we have, the, we have Senate. the Senate and the Congress, yeah. Right. We have the House of Commons, which is the government, basically, and the House of Lords. And the House of Lords is not elected. The House of Lords has got 26 Episcopalian bishops. Well, it's called the Church of England over here. And they sit in the House of Lords, and 90 hereditary lords and ladies sit in the House of Lords mm -hmm. and the rest of the House of Lords, some couple of hundred more than that, I think, I can't remember the exact figures, none of them are elected. And uh, that's a big question in my mind. And it, a, a lot of the book that, uh, that uh, we were going to talk about, The Muslim Prince, What If Diana Hadn't Died?, a lot of the book is kind of about um, the politics involved and uh, you know, the religious problems. I mean, for instance, we've never had uh, a Catholic, Roman Catholic prime minister here. I think your first one, I mean, your first one was John Kennedy. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what we have in my book is the concept of the idea that the, um, the, um, Prince, who I call him Prince James, but he's based on Prince George, really, which is um, William's, Prince William's son. So he goes, the Queen, Prince Charles, Prince William, and in my book, Prince James. Uh -huh. And Prince James, uh, there's a, it's all about whether or not about Prince James converting to Islam. Mm-hmm. Because what happens in the book is basically it asks the question, what would have happened to the royal family if Princess Diana hadn't died in Paris, in the Paris car crash? 
So the book starts with them changing the driver. John Paul was drunk and he shouldn't have been driving that car. And uh, in my book, they put a different driver in, an ex-police driver, and there's no accident. So Diana decide, uh, marries Dodie and converts to Islam. Hmm. Now, I had a hell of a fight, really, on Facebook the other day. <laughs> An alternate <laughs> history group who was saying, how could she possibly do that? You know, she wouldn't, you know. But the thing is, what people forget is that she was going out, before she went out with Dodie, she was going out with a guy called Hasnat Khan, who is a heart surgeon over here, and his family live in Pakistan. And she was having a serious relationship with him. And she went over to Pakistan and met his family. And they didn't approve of the idea of him marrying a Christian. And there was well-documented talk. You can look it up on the internet. Well-documented talk about her converting to Islam. So the premise in my book is not that outlandish. So she converts to Islam. And um, I guess the bad guy in the book really is King Mohammed over in Saudi Arabia, who he wants a soft landing for himself if things go wrong in Saudi Arabia and he has to get out of there quick. Now, he already owns a fair proportion of Great Britain right. in terms of companies, land, houses. And he wants to have a soft landing. So what he really wants is he wants his granddaughter to marry Prince James. Prince James has a relationship with the granddaughter and um, gets to the point where she convinces him that he should uh, convert to Islam, which he does. And if I told you any more than that, I'd be kind of giving the game away <laughs> in the book, really. That's interesting. So, 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 yeah. so, so this could have actually really happened. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain parallel between. I know Meghan Markle is is um, not a Muslim. She's uh, it's just it's the two issues you see. There's the one issue um, of Meghan Markle uh, being of mixed race, and the parallel in my book is uh, the fact that the princess who's going to marry into the uh, royal family is a Muslim. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of a little bit more extreme. Than, um, and uh, what King, what the King of Saudi Arabia wants to happen is that you know he knows that if he can get his granddaughter to marry into the House of Windsor, then his their offspring is going to be half Arab. Mm -hmm. So, if he can then, or not him, his son can influence the situation and maybe get that child to marry one of his cousins, the next thing you've got is you've got three-quarters of the House of Windsor is Arab. And uh, it's like that, really, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Goes on from there. I mean, it's quite, it's a little bit fanciful because, um, of course, another anachronism in this country, that's to say something, you know, left over, uh -huh. is the fact that we actually have a state religion. Now, tell me another country that's got a state religion. 
I don't know. I'll give any. you a clue. One of them is Iran. Uh huh. But it's just not. It's just not a democratic thing to have a state religion. You know, it's like. So not only is the queen, the head, of, uh, you know, the head of state. Believe it or not, she's the head of the state religion as well. So she sort of sits above the Archbishop of Canterbury in terms of who, which one of them's got a telephone line to God, really. Wow, that's kind of strange. And so we we got this really weird idea. So what happens is a lot, again, with the alternate history group I was talk, arguing with on Facebook, they were saying, how could you possibly have a Muslim who's head of the Church of England? And the answer is, of course, you couldn't. You would have to do what we've been talking about for centuries over here, disestablish the Church of England, mm -hmm. cut the Church of England away from government because government and religion shouldn't be mixed up together. In any democracy you can name, they separate the two. Or they say they do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, even here in the United States, they say it's separate, but it's not really separate. Okay, yeah. I, I hear where you're coming from. <laughs> but at the moment, you see, the joke is, in my book, the joke is that because we've got 26 bishops sitting in the House of Lords, bishops from the Church of England, that when the prince, the Muslim prince, becomes the king of England, we're going to move the bishops out and put the mullahs in there instead hmm. and it's a joke really they're not <laughs> going to do that <laughs> it's just that you know there's no catholic bishops in our house right. of lords there's no jewish rabbis in our house of lords but, and there's no muslim imams and yet we're a very cosmopolitan country here but this is how things used to work back in the day when there was a world of nothing but kings and queens they would marry their children off the, other, the children of other kings and queens in order to gain more power and more influence. Yeah. The only, tr the only trouble with that is it's, um, I think the phrase that springs to mind is inbreeding. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, I think the House of Windsor went to some effort when they, when they pulled uh, Diana in, you know, they wanted to get some... Uh, Good-looking jeans into the House of Windsor. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's what I think anyway. I think it was, you can't just keep having, marrying second cousins who all go back to Queen Victoria. You know, the whole of royalty in Europe all goes back to Queen Victoria, believe it or not. Wow. I'm surprised yeah. that it doesn't create some kind of birth defects or something. It does. It has. It has done. Yeah, there have been princes, princesses locked away because of birth defects. Yeah. There was a, a time, I can't remember the details now, but they, they were, um, what's that disease where you uh, your blood doesn't clot? Oh, is it anemic or not? Anemic? Yeah, no, it's, no. Uh, it's, uh, it's another one. It's well known, but, you know, that was passed on. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. Well, mind you, Marilyn Monroe had six toes, didn't she? I don't know. I yeah, didn't know that. Did. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think they used to say it's all in the breeding, you know, and they used to think that 
inbreeding was a great thing, you know, because it reinforced the whatever traits they got. But we, mm -hmm. we now know that that's just, you've only got to look at pedigree dogs, uh, look at all the problems they have, medical problems they have, to know that, um, you know, what you want to do is you want to crossbreed as much as you can, actually. So where do you think the royal family is going to actually going to go from here? Do you think, uh, is it Queen Elizabeth now, right? Yeah. Do you think she's going to, do you think she's going to be the last one? Or do you think Prince Charles is going to continue this whole, all this mayhem? Yeah. I, you know, I, this is a personal thing. I think the queen should have retired when she was 70 in my book. Can I just hold it up? And yeah, show you? absolutely. In my book, the Muslim Prince, um, in actual fact, Prince William, who's taken the throne by this time, because it moves a little bit into the future, he decides he's going to he's going to retire at seventy, and his son uh, Prince James is going to take over. And Prince James doesn't really want to because it's such a pain in the butt sort of job, <laughs> being in the limelight. Well, you know it is. Yeah. As I say, I feel sorry for them. They get born into it, and they don't have any choice. You know. Back, Harry's kicking over the traces and said, "No, I'm not doing this." Um, you know, good, good. You know, good luck to him. I say, uh, yeah, Prince Charles will take over, but I think it's a shame that he's he's the same age as me, and quite honestly, probably too old for the job. Really, um, I think the Queen should have retired when she was seventy, given him a go at it, and then he could have retired around about now, and William could take over. Hmm. I mean, they've worked very hard. William and Harry don't talk like royals. They talk much closer to the way I talk. Yeah. Uh, I've, got a, I've actually got a slight London accent, which they wouldn't have. They, they'd have a, you know, a, a, clearer, a cleaner accent than I've got. But they have, they're not sort of posh and cut glass and talking like 1920 <laughs> sort of thing. You know, they, they're far more... And they know that the firm's got to evolve with, you know, move with the times. Mm -hmm. And I think they're doing that. I mean, I mean, one of the things I really admire about our royals, you know, is whenever there's a war on, they go to war. I'm pr Prince, Prince Andrew, who's in a lot of trouble at the moment. I remember that he was a helicopter pilot in the Falklands War. Right. Under fire saving sailors from the, the Sheffield, which was on fire, being hit by an Exocet missile, thanks, um, you know, from the Argentinians. And he could have been shot down, he could have been killed. And, and we, our royals do that. They put their, not, they wouldn't do it with Charles and they wouldn't do it with William because they're the heirs, you know. But the others, they joined the forces. Harry was, I think it was Afghanistan he was in you know, in mm -hmm. the army under fire, you know, uh, they're not, they're not that protected. There is that aspect to them that I, I really admire. Hmm. But I wonder, like, are they necessary? Like, like how long, I, I mean, they're sort of like the last of this king queen thing, pretty much other than what's going on. Like some of them exist, I guess, in the Arab countries, but. No, in Europe as well, Spain, Belgium, Holland, mm -hmm. they've all got royal families. Mm. Um, the Queen, oh, sorry, the House of Windsor, it's a brand, isn't it? 
you know, you think about England, you think double decker red buses, yes, red telephone boxes, <laughs> soldiers with great big black bearskin hats and red jackets, the houses of parliament, the queen, Windsor Castle, Buckingham Palace. It's a brand, isn't it? It's like the Scots have got whiskey. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got that nailed down, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, the House of Windsor, you can argue that they're a very important brand and they've done very important work in terms of encouraging trade and uh, so forth with Britain. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I, I can see them being there for a while yet, Gary, yeah. Interesting. You don't think that um, I, I mean, rather than having it as a family and business, don't you think it would be better finding actually qualified people? That's a, that's what we do. That's that's where we got Boris Johnson, and that's where you got Mr. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I, 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 they do kind of look alike. <laughs> I remember, like the last time we talked, you mentioned how they kind that of was look that, alike. That's very unfortunate <laughs> that you know you've got America and Mr. Trump, and you've got much smaller. You've got Britain, and much smaller. You've got Boris Johnson. God bless him. We, we <laughs> love him. Trump. Actually, <laughs> he's such a sort of bumbling fellow. But I tell you something, he's done really well with the. Um, with the uh, vaccinations over here. Uh-huh. You know, I've had my first vaccination. I'm going to get the next one next month. And I think 20 million of the 65 million of us, maybe 25 million of us have been vaccinated. You know, it's, it's uh-huh. going really well. Not as well as Israel, but much better than Europe. The EU have completely screwed up their vaccination process, even rubbish the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, to the extent now that a lot of Germans won't have the Oxford vaccine because they were convinced, and the same with the French, uh, they even tried to restart the war in Ireland, the EU did, when um, they did. What happened was we got our orders in for the vaccine before the EU. The EU is 27 different countries, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're not very efficient. We got in there. We paid over the money for the vaccines to be made. We financed it. We paid. And then all of a sudden, the EU suddenly discovered that we were going to get the vaccines and they weren't. And I won't bore you with the details about the border in Northern Ireland, but basically they very nearly started up the troubles in Ireland again. And within 24 hours, stepped back from what they were doing. Um, they, they've shown themselves to be in a very bad light, in my view. Wow. But this really isn't talking about my book, Gary. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fascinating, though. And it does, well, I'm, glad, it, I'm glad you find me interesting because, you know, my wife says that I live under a rock. And, uh, you know, I don't really know that much. Uh, I, I'm only telling you, uh, you know, as a man in the street, really. So, so how does the interview that happened last night change things? You know, and, and how is that? Does it relate to your book in any way? Yeah, oh, the, the Oprah yeah, interview. Yeah. First of all, like, I wonder why he even chose Oprah to do the interview. Uh, the, that in itself makes me question things a little bit. Uh, you know, I. 
I didn't like the background music because it makes it all, you know, a bit like having a studio audience all clapping. And, yeah. And forth. I don't know. I mean, I, you know what they say before you express and you criticize somebody, you should walk in their moccasins for a month, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and over here, you know, people earlier on in the day, the papers were saying, you know, Harry, if he's going to walk away, you should walk away, you know, just walk away. Don't try and tear the house down when you're doing it. But I think there'll be a lot more sympathy for him. As I say, I remember that little red-headed boy walking along behind his mother's coffin with billions of people watching him. And I know he doesn't like, you know, he blames the press and so forth. You know, what can I say? I don't like to, I don't want to be judgmental about them. Mm-hmm. I really don't. But if, if he blames the press, then why did he go to the press to tell his story? Yeah. Well, you'll have to ask him, Gary, because <laughs> 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 but, but I, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, one of the things I don't have any idea about is how many people are going to watch this and who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I really don't want to end up in the Tower of London. Hmm. You know, maybe having my head cut off even. I mean, we don't do that anymore. But uh, well, nobody, just, wants, nobody wants to lose their head. No. Over a, but, no, po- over a podcast I, interview. <laughs> seriously you know i don't want to i don't want to criticize them because i haven't been in their position and and i do i mean i've always felt that i would i would hate to be one of them one of the royals you Mm -hmm. know just born into this situation where you can't even blow your nose without it appearing in the newspapers the next day so do you talk about any of that in your book like like in that interview last night, they talked about how they felt like prisoners in the palace, and um, and even that, like, like you know, like, like my head, I'm thinking, oh, they're just living these nice cushy lives, and, and and you know, people are just like feeding them grapes, and they're laying in these like cozy little beds and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not. I I don't think it's as simple as that. I really don't. I think I get thoroughly sick of it. Maybe if you're brought up to it, you know, yeah, they do have servants, they do. But I think you find that the queen probably works an awful lot more hours than most people do, most, you know, people with jobs do. Hmm. She's not just sitting around eating chocolates. What about the rest of them, though? Well, Prince Charles cut down the what they call a civil list. The civil list is all the royals that get paid to be royals Mm -hmm. and prince charles cut that down dramatically you know like say princess anne his sister neither of uh, her kids have got titles she didn't she didn't particularly want them she said you know they're the queen's grandchildren they're never gonna you know ascend to the throne or anything so we don't want titles uh can't be bothered with it and she's you know, she does her work for the royal family, but she has a life and she's very private. And her kids have got jobs and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, it's difficult. You know, because there have been strange things happening with that fam with the family. You know, over the last thirty years. Um, you know, and it's all been publicised. Mm-hmm. But um, what I've done in my book very carefully is I've got Diana 
isn't doesn't die she converts to islam and of course she has a big effect on prince james who's her grandson this is william right you've got diana her son is prince william and his son in my book is prince james and so diana is his grandmother and dodie fired is his step grandfather and dodie and diana have a couple of kids and they are sort of step uncles to Prince James. And one of them, Faisal, has um, a huge influence on him. Uh, Faisal you know, has contacts in Saudi Arabia, and that's where the contact between um, Prince James and Saudi Arabia and, and the Princess Malika, who's kind of modelled on, I don't know if you've ever read the um, uh, novel Dune, I've seen the movie. Frank Herbert's yeah. Dune. Yeah, well, there's a sort of, um, I think it's, Char- I don't know how you pronounce it, C-H-A-N-I, Khani, Chani, mm-hmm. is the princess in that. And my princess, Malika, is kind of, James thinks of her as being like that. And he uh, thinks of himself as, as, as um you know, an Arabian prince to to some extent when he's over in Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of there's there's in the back of the book, I've got um, I've got a page and a half of Arabic words. You know, I worked in in the Arab countries for four years, and I do have a smattering of Arabic. Uh-huh. This caused a huge problem for my narrator. Uh, Craig Bowles, who who narrated this on Audible, you see. Uh-huh. So he, there's me saying, well, you know, Ahlan Wasalan, you know, is um, hello and Alhamdulillah is uh, praise be to God, you know. Habibi is darling and Salam Alaikum is peace be with you and Masalama is goodbye, all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, well, anybody can do that. Of course, he couldn't. There's no history of it. So one of his friends was um, Saudi and um, he sent all these words off to his father in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> his father produced a, an MP3 file of the pronunciations of these words. So Craig, my narrator, then practiced them and he's he's got them in the, in the book, in the audible version. Uh-huh. Um, it's a shame this isn't this... Um, program isn't going out today because today this book is free to download on kindle <laughs> but tomorrow you're gonna to have to pay 99 cents for it how much 99 cents i think my listeners can pay that i think you can i think you americans can afford to pay i put it up i t- spoke to you about this before gary that I put these books up for free, and so far, 60 people have downloaded this book this weekend. How many reviews do you think I'm going to get for this book? Uh, 60? Yeah. One. None. I won't get any. (laughs) I hate my audience. I hate all those readers. (laughs) i tell you what, though, the audible version of the book, which... um, you know, Craig's read, he's he's got a lovely voice. Somebody said he had the voice like the polished chestnut dashboard of a vintage Rolls Royce. <laughs> 
he's got this lovely English accent. In fact, I had one American say they, they couldn't understand the way he spoke because and they had to get the book and read it at the same time so they got used to his voice. How they spoke, I don't know. But anyway, but to me, Craig has got a lovely uh, uh, English. He, he went to the uh, one of the universities in London, the, uh, the, the uh, School of Speech and Drama. And uh, yeah, apart from the Arabic, which uh, he earned his money um, learning how to pronounce Arabic. And uh, interestingly enough, his friend's father sent a note back to say that I got one of the words wrong. And... Uh, so I changed it. Hmm. I didn't. The other thing I didn't know was there's a there's a male and female version of uh, Habibi. Habibi means darling or love. And um, if it's male, it's Habibi, and if it's female, it's Habibi T. Ah. Which I didn't know because I never spoke to any Arab women in the four years that I worked in Arab countries. I dealt exclusively with men. Right. I was in the oil fields. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if this were to happen, like what happens it happens in your book, what happens to the Church of England? Uh, well, uh, it doesn't get that far because what, what happens is, sorry, I was talking about this earlier. Although Diana and Dodie appear in the book, what I do is I fairly rapidly move on so that along the timeline a little way. So mm -hmm. um, what you find is that most of the time we're dealing with fictional characters like Faisal and uh, so forth. Uh, and as I say, I, I start the book by, it might be a little bit off-putting, but there's a couple of Wikipedia entries at the very beginning whereby Prince William doesn't marry Kate Middleton. He marries another woman who he, he went out with when he was a student, I think. Hmm. And um, so therefore, Prince James is not Prince George because he's got a different mother. And this is just really to protect me. Hmm. Um, one of my beta readers said she was really uncomfortable with the idea that the book was written about Prince George. And I thought, yeah, that's right. He's only a little lad. And I don't want to be, you know, it's not fair to involve him in any way. So I've, I've managed to get his father to marry a different woman and have a different son uh, called James. So, uh, yeah, everything moves into the future quite rapidly. I've been very respectful of Princess Diana and uh, Dodie Fayed um, and very respectful of the, of, um, the Muslim religion as well. Right. In fact, several of my reviewers... Uh, on Audible and on Amazon, actually, have said that they're impressed with my knowledge and understanding of Arabic customs and cultures. Well, I would know a bit about that because I worked over there, you know, for four yeah. years. And, um, you know, it's really about that in a way. It, what Another one person I know, um, broadcaster actually, said that he was rather Islamophobic but having read my book, he felt far less Islamophobic. He felt that he understood Islam a great deal, a great, great deal more. And, uh, you know, is, there isn't really, if there's a bad guy in the book, it's the British establishment who are racist and, you know, 
don't like the you've got to roll with the ball you know like muslims have to pray five times a day yeah so if they're at work there'll be a point at which they'll want to go off for 10 minutes or quarter of an hour and say you know what whichever set of prayers they're supposed to be saying at that time now if mm. you in, if you employ a lot of muslims which the civil service in britain does then you've got to make you know uh, you, you've got to allow them to uh, follow their culture. You know, they, Friday's an important day for them, and it might be that you want to, they, they want to go off early on a Friday for Friday prayers, you know. And uh, in the book, the British establishment doesn't like that. Um, so they're, they're, if, there's, if there are bad guys in the book, that's it, really. So How about the... That, that and the sorry, that mm-hmm. and the CIA. The CIA? You'll be pleased to hear. Now, how, how could the CIA possibly be villains? <laughs> I can't believe that. Well, there you go. <laughs> Once again, my character, Colonel Wilson, appears. He appears in my uh, other book, Chronoscape. Uh, and uh, he's actually an author called Edward Wilson, who's played tricks with me in his books Mm -hmm. i've appeared in his books in humiliating circumstances (laughs) and so i've made him i've made him the bad guy in all of my books he appears and he's cia operative but um this um my first novel chronoscape which is a time travel novel had a lot of the stuff in the muslim prince in that book Mm -hmm. one of my beta readers said you know there's too much in this book what you want to do is you want to take everything out that's to do with the royal family which i did in chronoscape nearly all and then write it as a separate book so chronoscape's like a 300 word novel and uh, the muslim prince is about 150 words it's not a not a big uh, long listen it's about three and a half hours on audible if you listen to it right it's a smaller book than Chronoscape, but the two actually are part of the same story, although you can read them entirely separately. I've, um, I didn't put any time travel in The Muslim Prince. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of technology, but, you know, the, the um, because we move into the future a little way, then surveillance devices are going to be better than they are now. Right. You know what I mean? Electronics is going to be better than mm-hmm. it is now. And so it's a little bit of a techno thriller, the, um, the Muslim so, Prince. I remember when you were talking about when you were writing Chrono Escape that uh, I don't know, you were somewhere out having breakfast or some coffee or something, and some chap, some unusual chap came in and started telling you his story. Yeah. Have you ran into him lately? This is Martin Riley. Riley, I mentioned yes. him. At- I wrote, I met him in the author's note at the back of the book. Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen hide or hair of Martin Riley. I still don't know whether he really was a time traveler or whether the whole thing was set up, but I did write the book. I did get a novel out of it. And, um, I must say, that although the Muslim prince sort of ties into it, I keep, I keep picking this up and showing it to the audience as if anybody's going to, I'll put it down. I'll stop doing that. now. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to show you something else? You know, a <laughs> glass of water. Yeah. Um, now, the Muslim prince is um, pretty much uh, 
comes out of my head. It's um, not, uh, as I say, I've related it to Kroniska. I mean, I've written a whole book of stories as well, which I have been published internationally on all sorts of websites. Um, and I, that's another book called Dead People on Facebook. And a lot of the stories in that, very short stories, also mm -hmm. relate to Chronoscape. Chronoscape's the kind of center of my literary world to some extent. Dead People on Facebook? Mm. What is that about? Well, it, it's one of the stories in the book. It's a very short story about mm -hmm. a couple who start you, they're retired and they start using Facebook and... Um, they begin to notice that everybody only shows the good side of life on Facebook, you know, so they, what they do is they start, they invent a life of their own. So they'll go in, they'll go and stand next to a Rolls Royce and have photographs taken of themselves, selfies, you know, and say, this is the new car that we've just bought, you know, <laughs> and they do it with boats, you know, showrooms, you know, this is our new kitchen, you know, and they're there and they take, take a couple of, you know, flutes so they can pretend they're drinking champagne and it's all based on somebody I know, actually. <laughs> yeah. Is it a anyway, the, that, it might be based on me, actually. I do this yeah, stuff all the time. Exactly. <laughs> it's a piss take on Facebook, really. And what happens is the wife dies and the husband thinks, oh, what am I going to do now? Uh, I'll make a model of Norwich Cathedral out of matchsticks or something. And then he suddenly realizes he's got a shoebox full of photographs of all the stuff they did. And he takes a Photoshop course and he starts, he carries on the fiction mm -hmm. of their life on Facebook be, be, because he starts working backwards through the shoebox full of photographs. Right. They get younger and more attractive. And those are the, she's the dead peep, dead person on Facebook. Oh. I just named, I named the book after, after that story. Interesting. You People know, liked it. I interviewed a guy, and one of his things is uh, managing people's accounts after they die. Like, like what happens to your digital print footprint when you pass away? You know, and, and he has this idea of sort of like almost like creating immortality through through you know, creating a company that will continue to keep your existence going in social media after you're gone yeah i was looking at facebook today i was having a little bit of trouble with it and it's and there is a, a button in there that says tell us what you want to, to do when you die when you pass away so there is something in facebook but by and large people can't there's an awful lot of dead people have still got accounts on facebook oh yeah i got i know a bunch of them yeah yeah, and, and every once in a while they have a birthday pop up, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're dead. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Everybody's saying happy birthday, George. Oh, great. <laughs> but, uh, there's a there's a Black Mirror story. If you've watched the Black Mirror series about a guy who dies and this company extracts the whole of his digital footprint off all social media and everything, all his photographs, everything. Mm -hmm. And they have a sort of uh, android which is delivered to the house of the wife and she dumps it in the bath full of water so that it sort of inflates itself. Uh -huh. Of course, it, they just use an actor, don't they? This is the great thing about androids. You don't have to make <laughs> clunky robots or anything. You can just have people. Yes. But uh, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he, because all the information he's got from is from everything, this, all of this guy's digital footprint. And so he talks like her husband and he sort of half has the memories of her husband. And uh, that's the basic story. Interesting. If, if they did that with me, the Android would be like a complete lie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because everything you put is lies. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never tell the truth on Facebook. No. Never. <laughs> the cars. I, <laughs> the I have women. to say that the only the only use I have for Facebook and um, Twitter are for advertising my books. I, I don't really do anything else other than that. It's I just see it as an advertising medium. I'm afraid I don't put pictures of my grandchildren up. Mm-hmm. Or what I had for dinner last night, hmm. um, or anything really, or my cat. You don't put your cat. I haven't got a cat. No. If I had a cat, I wouldn't put it on Facebook. No. But you could. Borrow, what do you put on you Facebook? Could, you could borrow is, somebody else's cat and say it's your I cat. I could. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I put. I put. I put pictures of my cat, my dog, my dinner. Um, you know, you can always expect at least three or four posts about my podcast a day. Yeah, but this cat and dog, are they really your cat and dog or are they like pedigree cats and dogs that you've hired for the purposes of... Because uh, that would conform okay. to my story, dead so, people. So here, here's the thing. The cat could be made up. Uh-huh. Now, the dog... Is something that nobody would make up. This dog, my, my my dog is a French bulldog, and he is the craziest, meanest, most stubborn dog on God's green earth. I don't think anybody would want this dog. <laughs> I do like I do like French bulldogs. I've never owned one, but um, yeah. I, they are one of my favorite dogs. It's the way they walk around. You know, yeah, he, like, he's yeah. he's cute, but he is mean and stubborn. Mm. Yeah, he's a real piece of work. Yeah, the problem is there's a big fashion over here actually for crossbred dogs, Labradoodles, you know, where you cross a Labrador with a a poodle. Um, This has got to be good, you know, coming back to the royal family, this has got to be good for the gene pool, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can't keep interbreeding those same dogs all the time. No, I mean, do you know our royal family up until about 1914 were called Saxe-Coburg-Gotha? No, what's that mean? Yeah, that's their actual family name is Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. And when the First World War came along, uh, Germans were very unpopular in Britain. You know, they sort of... Anybody had a German shop with a German name on it, people were putting bricks through the window and so on and so forth. And the royals decided that Saxe-Coburg-Gotha sounded a bit too Germanic, you see. So they decided that they had to change their name. And there was a huge problem, you know, trying to come up with a name, Mm -hmm. a new surname for them. And one of their senior um, civil servants um, came up with the idea of Windsor because of Windsor Castle. So the only reason they're called, you know, Charles Windsor or William Windsor is they're just named after the castle. They're really called Charles Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. 
<laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know, you had Donald Trump, so... Yeah, but, but he's gone now. And you say that. He might be back in four years. He'll or... be back. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he keeps things interesting. Yeah, he did, didn't he? I mean, my wife and I, you know, we've got nothing to talk about now. Um, really, Biden, you, know, we, you guys don't find Biden Biden as entertaining as Donald Trump. You don't find what you don't find Joe Biden as entertaining oh. as Donald Trump. Ah, uh, he's he's just a good guy, you know. He's just he's going to do the right thing. Probably will be really unpopular after it because he's going to have to spend an awful lot of money. We're spending massive amounts of money here. I don't know where the hell they're going to get it all back from. And then Trump will probably come back and walk back and say, see, I told you. <laughs> That's how it goes here. It just goes back and forth, back and forth. I, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I take the mickey a bit out of um, Donald Trump because he did seem like a, you know, a sort of larger than life figure over here. But I did watch a three hour documentary about him and he did do one or two good things. Um, I don't even want to talk about him because you'd probably say, no, that's not a good thing. Go ahead, because I might agree. Well, one of the things that he's done is instead of trying to reconcile the Israelis and the Palestinians, mm -hmm. he's kind of ignored the Palestinians, which is really bad luck for the Palestinians, who I have a lot of sympathy for. And what he's done is he's got, he's encouraged a load of the other Arab states to normalize their relations with Israel. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, the UAE, people like that have normalized their relations with Israel. Well, come on. Surely that's got to be progress. Yeah, that is. And I agree. You know? And then he came over, and I know that in Britain, we're in NATO, you know, we were, we were spending 3% of our gross domestic product on defense in NATO. Right. The Germans weren't, and the French weren't. Uh -huh. And Trump came over and said, America is not going to pay for your defense anymore. You're going to start paying for it. Right. And who can argue with that? Can't. Can't. And, and I think, actually, and I agree with both of those things. I think the, also the other thing that he did that was right, too, was um, kind of putting his foot down with China. Mm. You know, because that was becoming a problem also. So, so, so some of those things were the right things to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But we've moved an awful long way away from my book. We did. <laughs> Chronoscape. Yeah. Shall I get a, shall I just get a copy so I can show everybody? Yeah, what it let's see like. a copy of Chronoscape. If you want, you can even mail me an autographed copy from England. There it is. There it is, Chronoscape. <laughs> Again, I think this will cost you a dollar. And uh, the other the other one I've written, actually, which I've never mentioned to you, maybe we'll have another talk about this another time, is I, I branched out and I started writing Steampunk. Steampunk. Yeah, and this, uh, this is the Steampunk Adventures of Harry Lampeter. And Harry Lampeter is kind of, um, to put it simply, he's like the James Bond of the steampunk world. 
Hmm. You've heard of steampunk? Yeah, it's like those people that wear like clothes made out of gears and stuff. That's it. That's it. They like sort of H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and yeah. stuff like that. I've come up with the idea for that book that I, I I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there is a bacterium that they found in Japan in a recycling plant, which can which can basically digest plastic. And I've heard people talk about it as if it's a good idea. We're going to clean up the whole of the ocean by releasing this bacteria, and it's going to eat all the plastic. Uh-huh. Well, what happens in my world is Martin Riley, who, because it's a different timeline, but it's the guy, Martin Riley, who invented time travel or time messaging through mm-hmm. time. He, he doesn't actually send people. He only sends information. Uh, in this timeline, he breeds this bacterium up so that it can really can digest plastic. So he's got all these bots that are collecting all the plastic rubbish. They're all over the world. Everybody, all the municipalities, all the cities are buying into this. And they've got these bots and they go around, they're gathering up all this plastic and it goes off to the digesters. And it's broken down into water and carbon, which is fine. Except that the bacterium escapes Riley says that it can't breed outside of his tanks because they're, they're kept uh, with a certain temperature and a certain acidity and so forth. But of course, the bacterium breeds. And before you know it, it's digested all the plastic in the world. And what happens? So, well, there's this sharp drop in the population. Uh, Martin Riley is hanged at the old bailey at uh, Tyburn, having having brought the end to the di- an end to the digital age. And we, we are to go back to the Victorian era before the invention of plastic when they used to use bone and wood mm-hmm. and glass. And that's how come we've got a steampunk world. I mean, other authors write about steampunk worlds, but Gary, I'm the only one who explains why it is a steampunk world, and it's all to do with this bacterium which has dissolved all the plastic. Roger, that's brilliant. I know. I, you know, I'm just you're so genius. Un, un, underappreciated. Yeah, genius. You, you, you said it, Gary. Roger Lay is a genius. <laughs> and I hope you're going to broadcast this all over America. It, it, not just all over America. Half of my audience now is over in the UK. Is it really? It really is. In the UK, Australia, Italy, India, and I am also number 19, the 19th top podcast in Hong Kong. Are you really? I am. That's fantastic, Gary. That's, um, you, you know, I'm very impressed. I mean, I, you, you mentioned India. Well, I know that in India, the majority of the people in India are Hindu, yeah. not Muslim, but there are a lot of Muslims in India, and of course Pakistan is right nearby, and they've got as many English speakers over there as the, as you've got in England. I mm-hmm. think it's sixty five million of them, and I am just so desperately trying to sort of publicise the Muslim prince in India because it's such an obvious um, such an obvious market for the book. I think people would like it if they knew about it, but if you're a self-published author, marketing is is nearly impossible. 
really. You you don't not, get you not know, you not anymore. Well, I've got because, you, Gary. Because there is me now. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope so. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be lovely. I'd love to just um, you know, it's the dream, isn't it? It's uh, a self-published author just kind of dreams of the fact that he can get something which you know a group of people like i mean like the steampunk book is going to n never break any records right. because there aren't that many steampunkers around although it's a f it's really quite funny it's got good reviews you know it's it's rather rude to be quite honest it's a bit naughty uh -huh. um in places and uh this is some couple of dancing girls in it who uh well you know you'd have to read it again it's going to cost you 99 cents i don't have but, to get this uh, i love dancing girls do you i do well you're going to love emma and elsa and what they get up to in this book because it is very victorian hmm. <laughs> um, it's probably nothing that i haven't actually done my, or experienced myself actually ah uh, yeah, I don't want to argue with you on that one, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, yeah, I'm certainly not admitting to some of the things that happen in the book. <laughs> but people like it, and an awful lot of women have bought it. You know, a lot, a lot, an awful lot of women like the book. I have a lovely time with my writing, actually, because um, I'm not under pressure to hit deadlines or, <clears throat> you know, I write whatever comes, I don't have to come up with a formula or, you know, pursue a direction because, uh, you know, that's where I've had success. Yeah. Uh, I've had a lovely time doing it, actually. Is there going to be a Chronoscape too? Well, I'm just shortly going to publish my sixth book, you know. And you've got to ask yourself, how many books do you want to publish that hardly anybody's buying, you know? So I'm going to go over to marketing. I'd rather have six books that some people are buying than seven books that nobody's buying. See what I mean? Have you considered going to a publisher? Ah, you can't. Um, you, you, you just, your, um, your submissions just end up in the bin, basically. Not, There's, not it's, if you it's, know the right people. I know. Again, I just don't. I did try with Chronoscape. I bought a book. Here it is. It's the Writers and Artists Yearbook. Mm -hmm. And it's published. It's a thick book. Yeah, I've seen that. Huh? I've seen that book. You, you've seen it. You've, yeah. You have it over there as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wrote to every um, agent that dealt in science fiction that's in that book i wrote to every one of them and by and large they didn't write back i mean you get to the point where if you actually do get a rejection from them you feel good about it because mostly everybody else ignored you hmm. it's it's that difficult you know well i mean publishing is falling apart isn't it because of the fact that somebody like me can design my own covers write my own book put it up on Amazon, it's available on Audible, it's available on Kindle, and to a limited extent, I can I publish paperbacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, the big difference is Stephen King or whatever 
they have to have a print run where they print 100,000 books, you know? Right. Well, with our self-published authors, they only print the book when you order it. Yeah, it's print as needed. Yeah, so they've got a big machine that can print books at a huge rate, but they're all different, you know? So I'm sorry, but that's kind of the death knell for conventional publishing, I think. I don't know. I, I actually, I, I work, I have agreements with a lot of publishers for guests. So, I mean, there's still some out there that are doing it. And there's also people I know who have been more successful self-publishing than they have publishing with a publisher. Well, I'm trying to think. Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Now, there's a book that you can't really, if you're not somebody who can understand the difference between a kilowatt and a kilowatt hour, which I can because I'm an engineer, I read that book and I thought, why would anybody read a book like this? Because it's, I know it's Robinson Crusoe. The story is Robinson Crusoe, isn't mm -hmm. it? You know, on his, not on an island in the tropics, he's on Mars by himself, but that's the basic idea. How does a man deal with being all by himself and how does he get home? Um, yeah, but that book is so technological, really. And I said to one of my sons, why would anybody buy this book? And he said, well, every physics graduate in the world would want to buy that book. And he's right. Mm -hmm. And so Andy Weir self-published that book, gets made into a film. He gets a publishing contract with a with a a proper publisher, and bish bash bosh, he's a made man. Hmm. See, so what I, you say is can be true. I, I know somebody who's an occultist, and he cranks out one to two books every month. Really? And, and, and he's been able to quit his day job, and that's all he's doing right now. But, but, but he, you know, it's just, you know, he's just constantly creating content and putting it out. Oh, well, I wouldn't want to do that personally. You know, I'm retired. I retired from teaching engineering and um, I want to do as much of this as I feel like. I, w I, I would imagine that he's driven. How old is he? Oh, he's young. He's younger than me. Yeah, well, he's, he's got to he's got to make his he's got to make his career, hasn't he? Well, I just think a genius like you. Has Thank to, you, Gary. Has to put out Chronoscape 2. Mm. Well, you know, obviously I've always got stuff going in my head. You know, there's the, I have to kind of stop myself really because I, I did promise myself that after I'd written this sixth book, I was going to stop and actually try and concentrate on marketing more, get myself interviewed by some of these right. um people like yourself and um you know i want the bbc to interview me no i'm better than i'm bigger than the bbc bigger than the bbc yeah. <laughs> that, that should be the model of my show <laughs> bigger than the bbc <laughs> it's quite alliterative isn't it bigger than the bbc yeah, yeah. i i believe you gary i'll believe anything <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens to sales tomorrow after you've broadcast this. Oh, it's going to be out of control. That machine that prints your books is going to be broken. It's going to, it's just going to break yeah. down from the demand. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> what I really want is the, the Netflix series. Well, I know you could actually make your own series and get it on Amazon yourself. Yeah, it's a thought, isn't it? Um, I mean, I do know some independent filmmakers. Mm. But they're all here in America. So you're going to have to... Yeah, sure. You're going to sure. have to move to Philadelphia, probably. Oh, yeah, no problem. I just jet backwards <laughs> and forwards. I'm sure my wife would be perfectly happy. Oh, sure. Actually, she, she'd probably like it if I just stayed over there, really. <laughs> 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 so the trouble is, you see, Gary, that she's she's quicker than me. She's very clever. Uh huh. My wife's but, quicker than me too. Yeah, I have to stay with her though because she's my copy editor. Oh yeah. She knows where the commas go. Hmm. There's a mystery. I don't know if you've tried any writing, Gary, but I, I, uh, I have a book out. Have you? I do. What uh, sort of book is it? Is it fiction? It, it, or? It's, it's uh, called Enlightenment Guaranteed, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. Oh. And I guarantee enlightenment. So if you buy my book, and my book is only $3.99. $3.99? ninety nine is not well, a if it's, huge if price gonna... for enlightenment. Hey, anybody would pay three ninety nine for enlightenment. And I guarantee it. If you don't get enlightenment by the end of my book, I'll give you your money back. Right. I'm just making a note here. Enlightenment. I'm going to look into it tomorrow. It'll change your life. Oh, well, yeah, as long as it's for the better. Always for the better. It'll expand your conscious awareness, not just beyond alternate timelines, but into ultimate, alternate dimensions and all kinds of possibilities mm. I, there's a lot out there Gary you know I mean I know there's a lot out there <laughs> I, I have a, I have a serious problem with evolution you know I do I know everybody says that's I, I have a problem with evolution too yeah I, I just I, when you look at how complicated it is to get life started even if even in its simplest form mm -hmm. from nothing i find that very very difficult to come up with you know the the proto you know how how did it really start with it starts with crystals and then they get more complicated and then magically we end up with dna i mean i know that things can evolve because we've done it with dogs we've done it with pigs and cows and pigeons and God knows what. Of course they can evolve, you know. I'm sure that animals, you know, if you put a bunch of finches on an island in the Galapagos mm -hmm. and come back, you know, thousands of years later, you'll find they will have developed into different separate species to use the food. But it's the business of getting the whole thing started that's my that I have a problem with. Do you ever think that maybe it never really started? Go on, you're going to have to enlighten me, Barrett or Gary. 
Yeah, I have some episodes on it, some quantum physics episodes where nothing actually has ever started and nothing has ever really ended. And nothing mm. even actually exists. Because mm. when you look at matter, matter is pretty empty. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying there. If you fill in, if you squash it all together until all the matter is actually touching, and even then, the sort of individual electrons and neutrons and so forth, they're just energy fields themselves, aren't they? Right. So, so you really have to kind of question, like, what is this anyway? It's not even real. Mm. It just seems real. I think this is what draws a lot of us to science fiction, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading a great book at the moment by David Brin called Existence. It's about that thick. It's great. You know, mm. it takes a long time to read. It's very meaty, very hard sci-fi, fantastic ideas in it, you know. It's all about the ideas in science fiction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a, like I said, I had this huge bust up on the alternate history online page on Facebook because they were telling me that um, that the Muslim, you, you never could have a Muslim king of this of Britain because he's got to be head of the Church of England. Well, no, he doesn't. You disestablish the church. They're just lack, lacking in imagination. What the hell are they doing? on an alternate history page on Facebook if they don't want to listen to somebody who's got radical... Yes, it's radical. I'm not saying it's likely that it would happen. You know, you might even argue that it's not possible. But, you know, as, as I say, it's all about the ideas, I think. See, um, all probabilities, I think, have happened somewhere. Otherwise, well, the whole th otherwise, the whole thing would be pointless anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's a scene in Chronoscape where Martin Riley, the main character, his son drowns. And um, because he hears about it two weeks before it happens, because he, he, he gets the newspapers, the newspapers appear out of his machine two mm -hmm. weeks before they were ever printed because they're sent back by the team that, are too, well, his team, but two weeks ahead. And so he goes and he saves his son so he doesn't drown. And he's sitting there with his wife, Estella, and they're not particularly getting on very well at this time. And he tells her about what's happened. She says, what, you mean he, he drowned? And uh, Riley says, yeah. And she says, you saved him. She said, yeah, that's what we do. Remember, you know, we work for this organization. She said, yeah, I never saw it as personal as that before. See, so he's not drowned. And Riley says, well, as far I don't know, but maybe the timeline branches. Mm. And there's one branch where he's where drowned he and one branch where he hasn't. But thank God we're on the one where he hasn't drowned. Right. You know, and that's that, that idea of infinite, every instant cause, producing infinite possibilities. So if you move to the next timeline, you barely see any difference. It's only when you move... Mm -hmm. sideways a long way that you get to somewhere where it's very different from where you right. I was from. I, I was interviewing somebody was it last night not last night the night before and um and, and we, we were talking about the whole Donald Trump thing and his theory is that the that in two, 2020 anyway 2020 
we somehow slipped into another dimension that was completely different than, than other dimensions. And he was talking about how this happens all the time. Like, like people, like, like, like you're, you're older than me, but I'm, I'm 53. But just, just in my lifetime, I feel like I've lived three separate lifetimes. You know what I mean? There was like the, uh, the 60s and 70s, you know, <laughs> which was like one lifetime. The 80s and 90s, which was another lifetime. And then everything after 2000 was, was like a shit show. <laughs> I know what you mean. I mean, I mean, like musically, I'm, I'm, you know, I was saying to my wife that um, Carol King's um, album uh, Tapestry came up on my musical box mm -hmm. in the car, you know. I remember that. Random. Album. I've got record. I've recorded all the music I like, and I don't go on to Spotify and it's just on on these uh, pen drives you know mm -hmm. and uh, plays at random and uh, up comes tapestry and of course it's 50 years old <laughs> you were two in tapestry you know i got all this wonderful music you know but do you not think that these different ages that you've um, lived are sort of reflections of your own development you know you're a child you're a teenager, you're a young man, you're a middle-aged man, and then... I have, I mean, I, I've considered that. However, it doesn't make sense. Go on. You gotta... So the reason it doesn't make sense is as I mature or anybody matures, our perception changes. As our perception changes, reality changes. As everybody's perception changes all at one time, things even change more. Um, so, so saying that, that that is a result of just maturity is almost the same as saying that we are consciously shifting from dimension to dimension. We're doing it ourselves. We are the actual operators and creators of all these different alternate realities and dimensions. Mm. I, I I truly do believe there's an awful lot out there that we don't understand. You know, I I'm not a great believer in ghosts or you know anything that's supernatural, but when you think that Darwin came up with the theory of evolution without understanding how heredity works and without understanding DNA. Nobody had told anybody about that. They hadn't discovered DNA. He comes up, he just makes the observation about mm -hmm. evolution and comes up with his theory from that. I mean, I just think that we're in the same sort of position now that we think we know a hell of a lot more than we do. You know, we there's still an awful lot to discover. Right. I, I, and, and it I'm might be a lot the, closer. I'm not talking about the galaxy. I'm uh -huh. talking about, what, you know, what it is. close up. Yeah. Our existence. Yeah, I, I agree. I think maybe at best we understand things maybe at 10%. Hmm. And I would say there's about 90% that's still myst mysterious. Yeah. Which, which well, for I, me personally, I, I enjoy because I, I love yeah. having those possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, um, 
uh, you know, this people sort of come up with the answer, don't they? They they, they nail the, themselves to a religion, mm-hmm. and they've got all their explanations through that. You know, there's usually a book involved as well. Always a book. Always a book involved. You know, look, it must be true because it's in this book. Yeah. You know, whether you're a Mormon or a Muslim or a Christian, we've all, they've all got <laughs> all got their book. You know. <laughs> And it's so li- it just seems very limiting to me. You know, I'd rather say, well, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I wish I did. Me too. Me too. And, and that's one of my motivating factors of this podcast is, to, you know, the fact that I don't know, but I want to learn. And I want to learn not just one possibility, but all the possibilities, which I know is impossible for me to do, but doesn't mean I'm not going to try. No, it's laudable. I mean, that's that's great that you feel like that because most people just sort of watch Netflix. That's kind of boring. Huh? It's kind of boring. I know. I mean, that's what I mean, you know, daytime television. um... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at least with lockdown, at least I've written another book, damn it, you know. Yeah. To... We're just coming into the vegetable growing season, Gary. Are you? I put a I put a photograph of my vegetable garden up on Facebook. Wait, you posted something on Facebook? Yeah, I I never I, yeah I, I, yeah you got me there. I I never do that sort of thing normally, but I just so pleased it was about June, and there they all were, all like little soldiers in the different beds, all these different vegetables and things. I took this photograph, put it up on Facebook. And had about 500 likes, you know, <laughs> which really nice. <laughs> Next time I'm going to take a photograph of somebody else's vegetable garden. That's awesome. Put that, that up and say it's my vegetable garden. That's you know, awesome why should I can. go to all this work, you know? Where I live, you can't grow vegetables. Sorry? Where I live, you can't grow vegetables. The only thing that grows here is cotton. Ah, where did you say you are? In Alabama. 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 Yeah. Well, Alabama. <laughs> Alabama. Alabama. Ah. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we've got a very moderate climate here. It doesn't get really hot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get really cold. You know, in this, particularly when you're inland, in a big landmass, you get these big fluctuations, really hot summers, really cold winters, don't you? Yeah. When I lived up north in New Jersey, their vegetables grew like crazy. Uh-huh. You could grow anything up there. Yeah. I don't know. I do like growing my vegetables, but... Uh... But we can, we can grow pineapples, though, too. Really? Yeah. Pineapples, gosh. Yeah, pineapples are good. Yeah. I've seen them growing abroad, you know. It's a peculiar plant, isn't it, really? Yeah. uh, No, we can't grow anything like that here. No, much too cold. Yeah, yeah. We can grow pineapples. So we kind of went off off topic of your book, though. (laughs) Yeah, let's get back to the book, yeah. Why don't you hold it up again? (laughs) Yeah, all right, yeah, I will. Hang on. No, I'll show you something. I'll show you something. 
One of my friends is, uh, he works for a company and they print postcards. Yeah. Uh huh. It's made of aluminium. Look at that. Hey, is that nice that or what? It is nice. It's even like laminated. Yeah, it says it's, the Muslim prince as the cover of your book on a postcard. It is of aluminium. Be the perfect thing to be chopping up cocaine on, I think. Oh, probably. Could. Sorry, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sure most of my audience has done cocaine. Yeah, well, you know, get a credit card. Mm -hmm. Lovely thing. Yeah, I'd like to give them away. Actually, they cost. I think one of these would cost more than a copy of my book on Kindle. Really? Yeah. Don't you like I? I'm really how, how much would it cost to mail that to the United States? Um, I don't know, Gary. Um, you've have you, you've got my email address, haven't you? I do. Well, if you send me your address, I will post one of these to you. At what what whatever the cost? Deal. And I'll just say, love from Roger on the back. You got it. Put your address just there. I will do that. I've got five of these, I think, or is it four? I was given four in the hope that I would buy hundreds, you know. Uh-huh. But you didn't, you, you didn't buy the hundreds? No, I didn't. Why not? <laughs> but please, I'm serious, please, email me your address and I will uh, send you one of these. I've even got a special pen here that I have to use for writing on it. I don't know what the particular properties of this pen are. Interesting. I'm assured that this is the pen that I have to use to write on the postcard. Wow. You are stocked up with marketing materials. Do, do, four of them. Do, do you have a Muslim Prince Frisbee? No. In fact, <laughs> this is the funny thing. This is the funny thing. I've only got one copy of the book because I have to pay for them, you know. It cost me about um, five or six dollars. Yes. Yeah, I've, so I've, uh, I've only got one copy of it. I, I don't think. even think I have a copy of my own book. Nope. You I don't? don't. Mm -mm. No. I mean, the other thing is, of course, I've got, I've got copies of my books and Kindle on, on my phone if uh, I never – Never particularly needed them, but I always thought I should yeah. have them, you know. But, um, yeah, I've got one. I try and keep it down to one copy of each book. Um, the only trouble with um, – you haven't seen dead people on Facebook. No. I'll show you that. Is nice artwork too. You do your own yeah. artwork? Do you Photoshop it? I do. It? Yeah. I mean, what what I do obviously is I go to these sites where you um, you can have the the basic image mm -hmm. uh, for free, so long as you um, acknowledge the um, you know. So this here cover image, I I go link. You know, mm -hmm. it's so long as you acknowledge the uh, the picture on there. 
you can have uh, a million copies done. So once I get to the million, I'll I'll um, I'll have to start paying the artist. You know, that could be tomorrow. <laughs> you are a horrible man. Do you know that? But, um, see this book. I keep every time I got one of the stories in here published somewhere, I, I sort of show off in this book, but the beginning of each story, I actually say where it was published. So like oh. this one, Turing Test, was published, um, Fiction on the Web, Short Story Me, Entipidian SF, and uh, Stories and Jokes in India. So... I have to keep altering it. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, every time I every get, time you um, get one published somewhere else, you got to update it. Yeah, I have to update it. You know, so I've had you know it's hard work. All those submissions. I've stopped writing short stories because it's too much like hard work trying to get them published on websites and so forth. So I'd, I'd prefer to just write a uh, you know like the Muslim Prince. As mm -hmm. I said, it's only. It's only um, 150 pages. And, um, so what do you find the most satisfying? Do you, do, do you feel like really satisfied with yourself when you write a book? Like, do you feel like, you know, this is it, this is my calling? Fulfilled? Um, happy? I or or does work. it feel like slave labor? No, I, I, I won't. I won't do the slave. Like the marketing feels like slave labor. I've spent the last three days trying to push out the Muslim print, largely on the coattails of the Meghan and Harry uh, interview. You know, mm -hmm. this would be a good time to be pushing a book about the royal family, even though it's you know in an alternate reality, as it were, an alternative history. Uh, so I don't like the marketing. It's grim, you know, arguments with people on Facebook and yeah. uh, then Facebook goes wrong on you and then they ban you because you're doing too many posts and then you tweet. And I mean, I did a tweet the other day and it um, got 3,000 hits but didn't sell any books, you know. That's what I don't like. That's what I don't like. Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the uh -huh. writing. The thing I've that surprised me was that once I started writing short stories, I wrote one a week for for about two years. Uh, no, it was more like a year because um, I think I wrote, wrote about fifty of them, and um, I couldn't believe where they were coming from. It's just like another story would appear, mm -hmm. and even my wife says they're good stories. You have never met her, of course. No. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I, having spent my life as an engineer, I, not, and a lot of that time teaching, is not very creative, really. I mm -hmm. mean, I know people can argue, oh, teaching, it's not really... Um, you're teaching the same stuff, you know. I know the difference between a kilowatt and a kilowatt hour, you know, and I have to teach that kind of thing. And then this whole business of writing and being creative was a huge eye-opener for me. I wish, wish I'd started doing it 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and to that extent, 
the only thing, you know, the fly in the ointment, as it were, is the fact that I don't feel as if I'm moving enough, making enough sales. You know, it's right. this business. If only I could get the Muslim prince into India and people sort of read it and thought, ah, yeah, I like this and actually bought it. I can honestly say that it's not the money. Mm -hmm. It's not the money. It's just, I think what, like a lot of people, you, you want, you want your of, work to be appreciated. Yeah. You just I'm the want same the way with my podcast. Yeah. 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 I want people to listen to it. Yes. You know, and sometimes I, like, I belong to some podcast groups and people will ask for advice about their podcast. And there's always like a hundred people will say, oh, it doesn't matter how many people listen. As long as you enjoy it. That's bullshit. Yeah, it's exactly. total BS. No, it, I, want, it, I want people to read my stuff. Yeah. You want people to listen to your podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. right. If I painted a picture, I would hang it on a wall somewhere because I would want people to look at it. Mm -hmm. Nobody thinks there's anything funny about that. So that's how I feel about my books. That's how you feel about your podcast. Yeah. yeah. How many podcasts do you do? Well, there's only you and Tall Tale TV. Hmm. Do and, you enjoy um, doing podcasts? Oh, well, you can tell. You see, the thing is, Gary, so I spent about 27 years standing up in front of a lecture theater teaching engineering students. I was over here. I would be called a senior lecturer over where you live. They call people like me professors. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was a professor in an engineering college, you know, and I, um, I miss my audience. I mean, I do amateur dramatics. I do Shakespeare. I do all kinds of stuff. We're doing it on zoom still at the moment. We normally do three plays a year. This is just an amateur group. You know, there's a little theatre in Halesworth where I live, 200-seater theatre. We have a lovely time. We do the, when we do the Shakespeare, we take it round to the gardens of public houses, you know, and perform in, in the garden. And then people, we take a hat round, you know, and people put money in for the charity that we run. And, um, yeah, it's lovely. So podcast for me, this is, uh, I'm really, I really enjoy it, yeah. So maybe this should be your marketing medium. Oh, I'd love it to be, but I wrote to about half a dozen different podcasters and uh, didn't hear anything. It's only yourself mm. and Matt Napo. You've been interviewed by Matt Napo. He's your, he's your, he's your buddy. Yes, I know Matt. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a guitarist and all that kind yeah. of thing. Have you? Have you? Oh, let's see. I'll see if I can think of some other podcasters to have you on as a guest. I wish you would, Gary. I'd, I'd, I'd be very grateful. Um, yeah, particularly if it led to sales, you know, because uh, I don't know what you do, as, as, as I said, as a, as a, as a self-published. See, the thing is, people, more I know people, that... More people buy my book now because of the podcast. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like you, like like your marketing materials, like if you go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, I have t-shirts, coffee mugs, posters. I even have everything imaginable face masks. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so you can promote my podcast and prevent COVID nineteen from spreading. 
how socially conscious of you. Very good. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a good person. Yeah, I believe it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to be interviewed on podcasts. As I say, um, it's not an effort for me, you, you know. My only, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, my, it's just, uh, it's just right at the beginning of this podcast, I couldn't remember the phrase Truman Show. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit, uh, that gets a bit difficult if you've lost a word. Don't you know? worry about that, though. I, I forget what I'm going to say all the time. Mm. You know, I don't worry about it. It's part of being human. I, th I think that's one of the reasons why people like podcasts to begin with is because when people tune into podcasts like mine, they know they're going to get a real experience with real people. They're not going to get something that's over-edited. It's not going to have an agenda. It's two people having a conversation, mm. you know, with, 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 our, with all our good qualities and bad qualities out there. Yeah, it's well, honest. It's what it is. It's honest. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? The digital world is—it's very democratized. Um, you know, like for instance, given that I couldn't get an agent, and therefore couldn't get a publisher to publish my books, thirty years ago, uh, I wouldn't have published anything. But now I have. You know, I've published stories all over the world on on websites. You know, various podcasters. Uh, broadcasters, uh, mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, written the written word. And I've even been able to publish um, five of my own books. And this is, you can have your very own television show here. You know, we can all do yeah. this because of, um, you know, the digital world we live in. Well, that is the ultimate goal for me is to not just be a podcaster, but become a outlet for all mediums. It becomes sort of like an alternative media, uh, an alternative non-biased media outlet. Mm. That is the goal. Mm. An alternative non-biased media outlet. Yes. Well, I mean, the world is your oyster, isn't it? Really, it is. As you said, you know, you've got you've got subscribers, you know, on, on all continents, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, why have you? Why have you uh, got? Why do you think that you're popular in uh, Hong Kong? I don't know. I've never been to Hong Kong to know what they're interested in, but there must be something of interest. Um, I'm going to. I would assume that it's probably maybe some of the spirituality stuff that I cover. Ah, you know, because yeah, because I do a lot of shows that sort of meld Eastern and Western philosophy and sure. mysticism. Mm -hmm. So so that might be it. And I also know that's kind of what's happening with me in India because the Hindus, a lot of them are very mystical. They're into that mystical aspect. And, and I focus on all the different cultures in the mysticism and all the different cultures. You know, and, you know, there's, in, in the end, with me, I believe that there's really two schools of spirituality. There's followers and are seekers, and seekers are the uh, mystics. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I uh, yeah, I was brought up, uh, you know, Catholic, and uh, me too. Yeah, so I was brought up to believe that if I had a bite of a bacon sandwich 
on a Friday on purpose, then I would go to suffer eternally in hell <laughs> because God is all forgiving and particularly loves little children. And that really was, <laughs> no, really, <laughs> on the one hand, you had, you know, God loves little children and he's mm -hmm. all forgiving. Well, excuse me, but why is it that if I have a bite of this bacon sandwich, it's a mortal sin? And if I don't go to confession, I'm completely stuffed and will suffer forever. Forever. Yeah. And, so, you know, torment, mm -hmm. torment forever. Taking a bite out of a bacon sandwich. So did you did you do it? No. You didn't. Oh no, no. I was I was a uh, I was petrified. Then what did you do with the sandwich? <laughs> 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 no, it was uh, when we went to confession. My three, my two of my brothers and me went off to confession every Saturday because our dad told us to, even though he said he was an atheist. And my brother, my elder brother wouldn't go to confession probably it's it probably reached the age where he'd started masturbating and you know you just don't feel like telling a priest about that no that's, you that's don't the want to tell them which, that one huh i didn't i never confessed to masturbating well maybe you didn't see it as a sin i thought it was a oh yeah sin. i knew i was going to hell for it <laughs> it felt way too good to not go to hell for <laughs> so anyway i said to my brother who's 14 years old and is sitting smoking at this stream that we used to go past on the way to church and he used to wait there while he used to dutifully take us and make us go to confession <laughs> and i said to him when i came back and he was smoking his cigarette i said to him but what's going to happen to you keith and he said well i'll probably just be a protestant <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was his answer it sounds like quite a character oh yeah he was yeah well he is yeah yes and ended up a metropolitan policeman in london oh. so yeah interesting hmm are you, is this really, are you really going to broadcast this all, the whole thing? The whole thing, you, the whole thing. Will it? Yeah, yeah, and people, people will listen to the whole thing too. Will they? Absolutely. Right, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. Felt, I've never felt so interesting before. I mean, not only am I a genius, thank you, You're but right. I'm, I'm actually an interesting genius. I wish I'd sure. brushed my hair now. No, 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 no. Don't do that. You can't. The hair is perfect. You think? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I mean, actually, if I were you, I would have probably messed it up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. You know? Do the Einstein thing. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm an engineering professor. Ha, ha, ha. And a genius. <laughs> yes. I'm going to tell everybody. Lucy, I went all out today for this. I even wore the skull ring. Oh, cool. I was going to, when I was uh, coming up to 50, I was going to have a tattoo and an earring. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. You don't? No, I bottled out. Damn. I haven't got a tattoo or an earring. And check now, check and this now out. Gary, it's too late. Oh. Oh, is that his uh, sort of tiger's head? It's a Tibet, Lion? It's a Tibetan demon. 
Ah. Mara. I know the one, the blue one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually have been to Hong Kong, you know, and um, I went to China. My One of my sons was working in Beijing, and um, he actually... It's quite funny. He set off on his bicycle. He said, Dad, I've decided to, I want to go on, you know, quite a long bicycle journey. He's about 22, 23 at the time, maybe 24. And I said, well, that's a good idea, Jack. You know, you're not married. You haven't got any responsibilities. Just jack your job in and, um, you know, you need, if you run out of money, just let me know and I'll lend you some, you know. So off he went. And he sort of keeps in touch with me, you know, and he's, goes through Germany and Holland and, you know, he starts going off towards Poland. And then he says, I think I might come back now. Do you think I've gone far enough? I said, yeah, you've gone far enough. Come back when you feel like it. Nobody will laugh. Anyway, the next thing I hear is in Ulaanbaatar. <laughs> he then cycles across the, uh, is it the Gobi Desert? I forgot which desert it was. He I think it was the Gobi Desert. He cycled across. And there's a, there's a single tr- sort of lorry truck road mm-hmm. going along with truck stops and he's like cycling along there and he he knew it'd take him two weeks and he had this book he was reading and there was um only a hundred pages so he had to limit himself to 10 pages a day when he was reading otherwise he'd have nothing to read in the evenings you know uh-huh. he ends up in beijing believe it or not with his bicycle and um gets a job out there. So when he'd been there a bit and he'd learned a bit of Mandarin, I went and visited him and um, I went off to see the Terracotta Warriors and stuff oh, like that. that's awesome. I was, it was great. I, I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. A while back now, about yeah. five, six years ago. Yeah, I'd really like to go to Thailand. Yeah, I. what I did was I did another trip. He went and worked in Australia, so I went and visited him in Australia mm-hmm. and I sort of made... I stopped at Singapore for a couple of days and then on the way back and on the way back, I stopped in Bangkok and saw a little bit of Thailand. Nice. I think you'd love it. The, um, there's a sort of place. This is, um, it's like the sort of Royal residence and temples and stuff. I've never seen anything like it in terms of decoration. It's just fantastic decoration colorful i love that stuff or like like bhutan would be cool yeah i even had a massage while i was out there yeah um and in in the school of chiropractic medicine in this compound they've got a school there and uh, they do foot massage and i had a foot massage while i was there hurt hurt a bit to be quite honest really but um yeah it's a in- very, very interesting experience. Wish I could do more. It's the long haul flights, though, Gary, that uh, they get a bit wearing. Well, maybe sometime you and I will meet up in Bangkok. I we'll think so. Get some pad thai. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the food's lovely, isn't it, out there? Yes. Yeah. I love those noodle dishes. Yeah. Yeah. I spent time in the States as well, actually. I spent six weeks training in California about 100 years ago, that was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, been to the States. Hmm. Uh, what is it they say about us, the Amer- Britain and America? Um, two countries separated by a common language. <laughs> <laughs> 
because uh, the thing about America is, you know, from the point of view of, an, of, of a Britisher, is that you get fooled into thinking that because they speak the same language as you, they're the same. But mm -hmm. actually, Americans are much more different from the Brits than, say, even the French Right. Well, the Germans, for instance, you guys are quite different from us. You know, the politics is very different. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we much, much closer to uh, the French and the Germans. Yeah. Well, that's one of the. But of course, we I would say one of the interesting so. things about America is that it's like living in multiple countries because you know, like where I live in the South is heavily influenced by the French because it was originally a French yeah. area. Um, yeah. Then there's other parts of the country that were heavily German, like Pennsylvania. You know, so they have a, more of a Dutch culture. And then you can go to like a Chinatown, you know. So, yeah. so it's yeah. like, like a whole bunch of little countries all within this one big country. Yeah, I know. That, that, it, it is amazing. I mean, I, we, I, I was having a driving holiday there and you get, fooled by the scale on the maps you think well we'll just drive on to the next town and the next town is a whole day away you know whereas in britain the next town is mm -hmm. 10 minutes quarter of an hour away but um the diversity of accents over here puzzles me as well because americans i know you've got a northern accent and a southern accent haven't you now, there's a lot more than that I know, I realise that. I realise that. But to our ears, you know, that's mm -hmm. mainly what you hear is the sort of somebody talks like a northerner or a southerner. But in this country, you only have to go about um, 50 miles and they've got a different accent, use different words and all sorts. Hmm. In, in, I get the impression in America you have to go about 1,000 miles for, to get the same. Actually, no, no. No? No, no like like – even even like like I'm from new, originally from New Jersey like New Jersey New York Pennsylvania Massachusetts they're all maybe 300 miles apart and, and they all have different accents even mm. within New York there's different accents accents like the Queens accent is different than the Brooklyn accent yeah I bet I bet and you'd be able to hear that difference wouldn't you yeah yeah, yeah. even no, here you're in, quite right in the same thing down here in the south. There's different variations of the southern accent too. Mm. It almost varies from like county to county. Yeah, what's that music? Cajun, isn't it? Cajun mm -hmm. is um, one of those things. Cajun music got very popular over here briefly for quite a long time ago, actually. Hmm. Cajun food as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's where famous. I'm at. I'm definitely in Cajun country. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I live right near Mobile, which is where the first Mardi Gras started. Ah. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of anything else to tell you about my books, um, Gary. Well, that's good because I'm getting kind of hungry. Time for dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I getting think... tired because it's, it's one o'clock in the morning now. Yeah, yeah I kept you up late. Yeah, Long night. Two hours. Up partying, drinking, yeah, doing cocaine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's been uh, lovely talking to you. You too. And so, um, so before we wrap it up, though, where can my yeah. listeners find you? Um, well, basically Amazon. If you go onto Amazon mm -hmm. and you type Roger Lay, and it's 
L-E-Y, not L-A-Y. And um, obviously I'm on Audible. Three of my books are on Audible. Five of my books are on Amazon. Um, I have got a website, but it's pretty dull. You know, it's rogerlay.co.uk. But it's just, it's got lots of, it's linked. Every time I get a story published, I Mm -hmm. put a a little, I, I steal the artwork off whatever website it's been on, put it there with a link. And then it, jumps you to the website. I mean, one of my favorites is um, Tall Tale TV. Right. Um, Chris Heron does the narration on Tall Tale TV. And um, the other one is Antipodean SF. I'm a regular contributor to that over in Australia, you know. So, uh, yeah, basically, I mean, obviously, I've got an author page on Amazon as well. So, so um, yeah, what I'll do is I'll post a link to your website and to your Amazon page in the notes of this episode so my uh, listeners can check it out while they're listening. Yeah, well, that's very kind of you. And um, I'll just put my name up in case anybody's wondering how to spell it. L-E-Y. There it is. Roger L-E-Y. Don't you just love that Muslim girl? Yeah, she's kind of hot. Isn't she? And all you can see is her eye. It's just her eye. Great picture, isn't it? It is. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, then, Gary. All right. Well, thanks for being on tonight. Okay. Well, send me that address. You got it. I'll send you the address tomorrow. And I'll also send you the links to this episode tomorrow. Yes. Thank you. Am I, can I download it? I don't know if I can. No, you can't download it. Okay, that's fine. As long as I know, I won't try and I won't try and find a look for links to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I put that up on my Facebook page uh, on Facebook and so forth myself. Fabulous. Maybe, maybe tweet it. Tweet. tweet yeah. Instagram. Hmm. Instagram. Uh, I I have got an Instagram account, but I don't really use it. As I say, I have to stop writing so that I can actually catch up with all this sort of marketing LinkedIn? stuff. I, I, hmm? LinkedIn? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well, but I've never done anything with it. I've just got retired senior lecturer from Norwich City College. You know, huh. that's just pretty much all I've said. Uh, I think I describe myself as, a, as a, an independent writer or something. TikTok? No. Snapchat? No. Nope. Clubhouse? No. Nope. Right. Do you think all of these things, do you think they'll sell books? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You'd be surprised. Mm. Oh, I just wish I had a, you know, a younger relative who could do all this for me, but uh, the world doesn't work like that. Well, there's always adoption. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I could maybe find myself, yeah. A ragged, barefoot child wandering around the alleyways of London. And uh, be like Henry Higgins when in Pygmalion, you know. Yeah. My Fair Lady. I wrote this story about that. I get a couple of, one of my stories is um, somebody said to me, why don't you write a robot story about, uh, you know, something to based on uh, My Fair Lady. And Mm -hmm. uh, I looked it up. And um, I found that there was, sorry, I'm just looking for my book here. There was um, 
a sculptor in ancient Rome, and his name was Pygmalion. That's where the name comes from. And he was so um, unhappy with the local women that he made himself a woman out of ivory. And one of the Greek goddesses brought her to life. And the name of the sculptor, the sculpture, Mm. the statue, was Galatea. Mm. And... That's my story called Galatea. Yeah. And interestingly enough, it gained a silver honorable mention in the Writers of the Future contest in November 2018 because, Gary, I am indeed a genius. <laughs> indeed, you are. See, and you know what is key about this, too? It takes a genius to know a genius. Exactly, Gary. <laughs> I feel that we've uh, really found each other, don't you think? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd just like to say to all those people that have actually spent the whole two hours watching me blathering away here, thank you very much. And um, thank you very much, Gary, for having me on your show. It's been awesome. an, a privilege. You're welcome anytime. And just hang on one moment while I play my outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.